All right. Good morning, Fellowship family. How are we? All right. Well, hey, it's good to see you as we continue this series titled DTR, which stands for Define the Relationship. You might want to remember that. We might be doing a little bit of a quiz a little bit later. But we're in this series called DTR, Define the Relationship, because we know in life, in relationships, there comes up times where we feel like, man, we need to have a, a DTR over this. We need to define this relationship because I think there might be some missed expectations. I think there might be some difference of opinion. We're just not quite on the same page. And so if that happens in relationships, we need to have that conversation about our relationship with the church because we want to be clear of what we're calling people to, of what we believe, of what we stand for, so that we can be unified. Because Satan wants to divide us. He wants to make sure things are unclear. He wants us to say, why are we doing that? I don't think we should do this. Or why are you expecting that? We, so we want to be clear and have clarity on this. And when I uh, preached last, I talked about a DTR I had with my wife when we talked about defining our relationship to become official. Now, everything in me today wants to share about my engagement story, but I promised my brother I would wait to tell that after he preaches, you'll understand more why when I share that story. So I'm going to share this morning a story of when we went to Shawnee Lake. That's in Topeka, Kansas. That's one of the hidden gems of Topeka, by the way. If you haven't been to Shawnee Lake, check it out. It's beautiful. So we went there, and we were kayaking, and I'd been, I mean, I had, so we had been dating for three months. And at this point, I definitely knew, and I love this, I love this woman, and I definitely want to marry her. But I knew that she takes a little more time to process, and that she's going to probably want a little longer time frame. So I'm already in my mind thinking, I know she needs time to process, I know she needs a longer time frame. So I'm going to tell her, hey, I, I love you, and I see us getting married, so it's July, see us getting married in May. And I'm thinking, that's a long time out. And so we're in the kayak, and I'm like, Paige, you know, what do you think? And it's a good thing we're out in the lake, because, and she can't swim real well, or otherwise she probably would have just left right there. <laughs> because she's like, okay, I love you, but that's really fast. Like, we just met each other and everything. I'm like, well, but if you love me, I love you, like, why? what's the big deal here? And so I'm like, okay, so let's take some time. Why don't you go pray about this, and, and I'll pray about it, and we'll come together. So we went kayaking the next week, and she said, all right, fine, we'll get married in May. We got married in April, and uh, here we are today. So um, negotiation. Got to learn how to negotiate in marriage, right? Um, and so uh, Today, we're going to um, continue on, like I said, in defining the relationship. But before we move on to this week's topic, we're going to do a little review. So I'm going to have my wife come on up here, and I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you know the answer, I want you to stand up. And if you're the first person to stand up, we're going to call on you, and then we've got a prize. So I'm going to start with an easy one, okay? Question, what does DTR mean? What does DTR mean? We're reviewing, yes? Define the relationship right here up front. Well done. <laughs> Okay, now, here we go. Here's some other stuff we've been talking about. What two things do we say the church is centered around? What two things do we say the church is centered around? Yeah, Braille. Gospel and community. community. Give him a prize. All right, next one. Gospel is our what? Gospel is our what? Begins with a C. Right up here. It is our, what do you say? Close. Close? Yeah. Content. Way to go. All right. Now, now, wait for it. Community is our? Is that a stand-up? I can't tell. Or who's that? Okay. Yeah, Joel. Context. Good work. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Now, 
There are, within community, there are seven rhythms that we are calling people to live out. Name one of them. Caleb. Daily devotion. Daily devotion. Yes. Suzanne. Celebration. Celebration. Yes. Yes. Prayer. Yes. Prayer. Julie. Strongholds. Freedom from strongholds. Yes. Sacrificial generosity. All right. I think we have two more, if I remember right. I could be wrong, but I remember two more. Okay, so, yes. Say again. Close. Um, uh, let's see. So you've got, what do you do as a family when you get together? Do you guys um, sit around like fire or a table and you do what? Do you share something? You share stories. That's right. All right. And there's one more. There's one more. If you're wearing a lanyard, you help do this right now. Serve. All right. Give yourselves a hand of applause. You got that. So, and then the last question, what is our discipleship vehicle at Fellowship Highcrest? Oh, come on. Paige is wearing it. All right. We'll say it all as a group. What is our discipleship pathway? Rooted. There you go. So here's this. We talked about when we say church, gospel content, community context, we've got Here's the seven rhythms of Rooted. And for those of you that sign up for Rooted, you're going to dive into this. And Rooted is our discipleship pathway. And you're going to hear this later on in announcements. But today is the last day to sign up. So make sure you get signed up and get involved in this. It's going to be a great opportunity. Okay, so now today. So we've talked about what the series is about. We've talked about the content that we've talked about. Now today, our topic is same, same, but different. Okay, what does that mean? Here's what we're going to answer. Does church partnership need to look the same everywhere? Does church partnership need to look the same everywhere? Does the church need to look the same everywhere? If so, then we've got to work through some things. If not, then what, what can be the same, what can be the same and what can be different? And how, understanding that, can we celebrate the differences, not only even in fellowship in our different campuses, but also different churches in our city, and also celebrate different churches around the world and the different ways that they express worship and making disciples. So that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to be, uh, I'm, oh, I've got a couple examples. So I've been able to, I'm the outreach pastor of fellowship, so I get to go and travel and see what different churches look like around the world. Now, I put Southeast Asia for a reason, because this country where it's at, it's illegal, and, they, and this is getting recorded, so I can't put that, but I can tell you this is an actual picture, and you can't see those uh, faces right there for a reason, but those, we know those people, we've sent them out as missionaries, and there's a reason I didn't put a picture of a church, because in this region of the world, up until about a month ago, there wasn't a formal church that we knew of around this people group. And so, in the most recently, though, I heard that they were able to gather together, get some belie- local believers, be able to start worship in their home. So, a church in, in this area of the world, it's in a home context. It's not in a corporate place. If, you, if, if they were out on social media, first of all, the government regulates social media, all that stuff, so you couldn't even do it. So, there's just a lot of things that you just, is impossible there, right? Okay? Then you've got India. I was able to go to India, and I was able to do some training and equipping with um, some leaders, um, with Pastor Augustine, and they go out, and these pastors, missionaries, go all around India, and they lead the different churches. Their church, um, well, first of all, when they show up to a community that's an unreached people group, an unreached area, there's nothing. There's no, they don't, 
They have no concept of, of what true Christianity is. There's no church building, anything. So they start with just living life with people. Then they invite them to a prayer time. Then they invite them to a small group. And then when their small group is big enough, then they say, hey, we're going to formalize this and make this a church. And their church building is about the size of the stage. And it's a brick building, no AC most of the time, no electricity. But man, they worship. And when I, when I was able to meet some of these missionaries, some of these pastors, they were there limping. And one guy literally had to carry his leg and lift it forward because he was beaten so badly in the area where he was preaching the gospel. But then after that happened, he kept on going. And he, so I'm sitting there hearing these stories of these men that have gone out preaching the gospel no matter what the cost. And I'm, I'm saying, like, there's, that, that's, that's got to be right, okay? Even though it looks different. There's, it, we've got to figure out what is, what's the same, what's different. This is amazing. Philippines, you've got a beautiful building in the middle of a trash dump, but open air, okay? And you've got Pastor Rooney, Pastor Elena, a lot of kids, but totally different than, than our, what church looks like right here. And then you've got Avondale East in our concept, in our, in our context. But even Avondale East, this campus, is different in some ways than the Yurish campus. And so how do we understand those differences? How do we celebrate those differences? But here at Avondale East, we do have freedom to gather. We have freedom to worship. We have freedom to celebrate. We have a roof. We have heating, um, air conditioning. I put that on my notes originally. Then I scratched it off last week, and I'm putting it back on my notes. So that's something that we have in common now in America. We have air conditioning here. And so, but there's differences in what church looks like in different contexts. Okay, so I want to start, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, 22 through 29, the whole time, okay? And so if you go to page 664, 665, and the Bibles that are on your chairs, that'd be great. We're going to start, we're going to start with the foundation. We're going to start with the foundation, and then from that foundation, we're going to build upon what's the same and what's different. So, page 664, Acts 15, verses 1 through 5, and I'll just give you a little context. The church at this point, it started in Jesus ascended. Start, uh, the church started in Jerusalem, moved out to Judea, moved out to Samaria, to Antioch, and it's in the process of expanding out. But as it starts to expand out, you go from everybody that looks like you, thinks like you, talks like you, that's been in the same context, you, that's been around Jesus, and now it's going out to different groups of people in different areas, and there's starting to be some issues and frustration. So here we go. Acts 15, 1 through 5. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with him, arguing vehemently. So finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, they told them much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Paul, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they stood up and insisted that Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Okay, so as the gospel is expanding out, and you've got Gentiles that have different rituals and beliefs. They're coming in conflict of what does it actually mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a part of a local church? And so here's the question. Oh, religion versus gospel. Okay, here's the question. Oh, sorry, your notes. 
Religion versus gospel. Boom. Okay, question. Is there anything we must do for salvation in addition to faith in Jesus Christ and the receiving of undeserved grace? So is it, do we get salvation by grace through faith, or is there something else? Because the Pharisees, what they're saying is, hey, in order to be a Christian, in order to be a part of the church, you need to obey the Mosaic law, which is the moral law plus the ritualistic law. What that means is this, the moral law, think the Ten Commandments. So the Pharisees are saying, you need to obey all the Ten Commandments. They're also saying you need to follow the ritual law. The ritual law includes things like physical circumcision, includes purity laws, cleansing. It includes saying, here's what foods are clean and what foods are unclean, and abstaining from anything with blood in it. And the Gentiles are saying, I thought it was just this basics about the gospel, and now you're adding more things. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, yeah, that's not right. It needs to stay, we got to stay focused. So they have this disagreement vehemently. They go back to Jerusalem. And before we get too tough on the Pharisees, because although the Pharisees, they focus on religion and doing rituals and the right actions, and they miss the heart of the gospel and want to add to it, before we get too hard on them, the reality is, is we can do that as well. I know I can do that, right? So we can say, hey, to be a Christian, yes, yes, it's faith, it's, it's grace by faith, yes, but, but, man, you also you need to go to church so many times, you need to pray so many times, you need your Bible so many times, you need to give a certain amount, you better not smoke, you better not drink, you better not have premarital sex, you better not look at porn. It's this list, right? So how do we even reconcile this and even show a little bit of grace to the Pharisees, even though they're ultimately missing the mark? And here's, here's what I want, because what happens is, although these things might be good and wise, when we do that, we, we miss why we are a Christian and part of a church family. It turns into guilt and shame instead of hope and joy. Okay, I want to read from an excerpt from a, a book uh, by Milton Vincent, um, and it just really, it, it allows me to just kind of, kind of relax a little bit. So, resting in Christ's righteousness, it says this, The gospel encourages me to rest in my righteous standing with God. A standing with Christ himself has accomplished and always maintains for me. I never have to do a moment's labor to gain or maintain my justified status for God. Freed from the burden of such a task, I now can put my energies into enjoying God, pursuing holiness, and ministering God's amazing grace to others. Yes. Yeah. So... So the question I want to ask as we start this foundation is, do we want to be someone, do we want to be a church who needs to labor, justify yourself, have a burden of tasks, and this list of what you're supposed to do, or do we want to be able to rest in God, be free, focus on enjoying God, pursuing holiness, and ministering God's amazing grace to others? And if you're still thinking, okay, I'm not exactly sure if I'm on the religion side or if I'm on the gospel side, here's some thoughts, okay? If you find yourself saying, I obey, therefore I'm accepted, you're probably going to be more on the religion side. So if you're saying, okay, I'm, I, I'm, I have some fears, I have some insecurities about how God feels about me, and I really want to be accepted by him, I want to be accepted by my church, I want to be accepted by others, so I'm going to obey and do the right thing because I want to be accepted. If that's you, you're, you're probably going to be more on the religion side. If you're saying, 
man, I know that I'm accepted by God, by his love, by his grace, and because of my overflowing of faithfulness, I can't wait to obey, then that's living out of the gospel. If your motivation is based on fear and insecurity, that's religion. If your motivation is based on grateful joy, it's the gospel. So even just reading the Bible. Is reading the Bible a good thing? Absolutely. But if we're reading the Bible because we want to be able to tell people, I've been in the Bible this many times, and we want to be able to check off a box or have a good sermon or whatever the motivation is, if it's anything other than, man, I can't wait to have a relationship with Jesus and get deeper with him, and that's our heart because it's out of a joy and out of gratefulness, then we're leaning to that side of religion. And as you're sitting here, don't feel guilt and shame. Guys, we, we're all there. We're all, like, I'm there every single day. I'm that big brother religion person. This is why the gospel is good news to us each and every day. That's why when you accept the gospel, it's not, all right, I figured that out. Now I'm moving on to the more important stuff. This is stuff every day we've got to remind ourselves, and it influences everything we do, okay? If you're with me, say I'm with you. Okay, so let's go back to, are we going to be a church about religion or the gospel? So let's bring it back to what we're talking about, DTR, church partnership. So our prayer as church leadership team is before, during, and after this series that you hear our heart's desire is that we focus on the gospel and not on religion. So our fear is that as you hear, hey, we need everybody to go through starting point and rooted and this discipleship pathway, they're going to be like, man, you're just making me do a bunch of re- like ritualistic, legal, legalistic, all these different things. But that's not the point of it. As a church leadership team, our focus is on making disciples and advancing the gospel. And we believe that this pathway and tools are ways that can help us as a church move together in unity and alignment and not cause division along the way. Because Satan, again, he wants to distort. He wants to disunify. He wants there to be missed expectations. He wants us to be on different pages. And he wants us just to spin our wheels and never accomplish anything. So what we're trying to do is map out a pathway that's led and motivated by the gospel of how we can move together to help make disciples of Jesus Christ. So there's our foundation. Now we want to talk about within this, now, practically, what, what is the same, what is the same, and what's different within the church? So, we're going to be on page 664. I'm going to continue in Acts 15. Now, I'm going to read verses 6 through 11, okay? It says this, So the apostles and elders, they met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood, gotta love Peter, he's ready to get things done. Hey, we should get married by May. All right, thanks, Peter. All right, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentiles' believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so let's talk about what's the same. So in verse 7, the same is we preach the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. That's the same. Verse 8 is the same. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. That's the same. Another same. In verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Now, verse 10. Here we go. Let's go see the religion side. 
Why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentiles, believers, with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? You see, the moral and the ritualistic law was never intended to be a way that we could actually be saved. It was designed so that we could realize that we couldn't save ourselves and we needed a Savior who was Jesus Christ. And we see that the Jews couldn't do that or their ancestors before. And that's what Paul or, uh, Peter's saying, why are we doing something that we couldn't do ourselves? The point is that we need the Savior. And verse 11 is the same. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And that's the core. We are all saved the same way, by faith through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so question answer. Question number one that we talked earlier was, is it, are we saved simply by, faith, by grace through faith, or is there something else? Okay, as we see here, that's it. That's it. So now let's contextualize in the church, what is the same? What can be the same across, Okay. The task, our task, whether it be the Yersh campus, at this campus, at other churches in Topeka, at churches around the world, our task is the same. We are called to preach the word and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of people that don't look like us, think like us, talk like us, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, all those different things. Our task, our mission is to preach the word and make disciples. That has to be the same. That has to be the same. Whether it's in India, in a small church, whether it's in the Philippines with no instruments or a simple guitar, whether it's in Southeast Asia, in a home, whatever it looks like, our task is to preach the word and make disciples. Our tools, the essential tools that have to be there are God's word and the Holy Spirit. So whatever, whatever strategy you end up doing, it has to be based upon God's word and it has to be based upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Because there's nothing that you and I can do. There's no man-made tool that's going to be the magic bullet. Not even rooted. It's close, but not even rooted. And so everything has to be God's word and the Holy Spirit. And our context. Now, at first, when I, when I was processing this, I thought the context. The context is something that's totally different. But here's what I mean by this. The context is we are all in enemy territory. We have to understand this. We are, what, what the church is, is an embassy. And an embassy represents a kingdom, a nation, and it's in another country's territory. That's what the church is. And so we've got to recognize that even though the way that the enemy is going to try to distort, lie, steal, all that kind of stuff, it's going to look different in different parts of the world, all that stuff. We are all in enemy territory. And so specifically, I would say for being in America, we cannot get complacent. We cannot think that, oh, you know, I don't think the persecution is that bad here. I don't, we're not, things are kind of good. No, we are all in enemy territory. The stakes could not be higher. Okay, so these are the things that need to be the same. Now let's talk about, oh, and uh, we're going to break it up a little bit. This is our dog, Titus. We got uh, some sunglasses. We're having fun. All right, moving on. Just wanted to mix things up just to keep you on your toes. Okay, so now we're going to go to, but different, but different. Acts 15, verses 23 through 29, okay? But what's going to be different? Then the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem, they chose delegates. And they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas and Silas. This is the letter they took with them. 
This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives, along with our beloved brothers, Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat or strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. Okay, so when I read this, this was definitely, for me, the most potentially confusing part of the whole passage. Because I was expecting them to say, hey, here's these few requirements. Um, Have uh, trust, accept grace, and through faith. Okay, that's what I kind of expected. But then something goofy happened. They said, okay, we're not going to do any rituals except for these rituals. Okay. And then it's every ritual except for circumcision. So how does that make sense? Here's the deal. This actually is a beautiful picture of what church community should look like. And here's what I mean. First of all, you've got these church elders and leaders that are shepherding the flock. So they're recognizing that there's a problem. They're recognizing they're not wanting to put unhealthy burdens on people. They also recognize that in this time that this meat that was, they would actually um, uh, give it to idols and worship over it, and then they would serve it as food. And so these people are trying to shepherd the church, shepherd the community for maybe things that they're not aware of. But then you look even deeper, what is beautiful about the church and us is that we are a covenant people. We're not a contractual people. What I mean by that is this, in a contract, it's I'm going to do this if you do that. And they could have easily said that here. The Jews in Jerusalem could have said, hey, here's the deal. If we're going to let up on circumcision, then you guys are going to have to do these different things. going to have it turn into this big negotiation. But instead, they said, no, we're a covenant people. And what this means is that we are going to become this way for you. The example is of a wedding, right? You're at a wedding. You're making vows. You're and you're imparting into a covenant relationship. And in this, you're saying, I'm committed to this for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health. And this beautiful day when everybody's dressed up, looking their best, you're basically saying, hey, some bad times are coming, but no matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. Our circumstances aren't changing my commitment to you. And that's the same thing of what the early church was saying. They're saying, hey, you might have different ways of doing things, and we're going to shepherd the process and make sure we're focused on the core things, but we're not going to put a yoke around your neck. But at the same time, we recognize that being different churches, different locations, brings about different challenges. So practically, let's talk about what does it look like to be a gospel-centered church that recognize there can be differences and living in a covenant relationship. So ultimately, here's what it comes down to. What can be different? What can be different? Two main categories, the structures and the strategies. So the structures, let's start with the the obvious one, right? Your building. So your campus looks different than the Highcrest campus. This campus looks different than other churches in town. And these look very different than 
the church in India or the open setup in the Philippines or the home church in Southeast Asia or you know, any of those different places. So clearly the building is going to look different. The leadership. Now there's some godly structure set up in scripture of elders and deacons and overseers and that type of thing. But if you are a large church, your leadership structure is going to look different than if you're in a smaller church where you have a bivocational pastor. Or if you're in a country where it's illegal to be a pastor and you definitely have to work a full-time job for legitimacy to be able to make disciples and shepherd your flock. The leadership structure can look different. The media, the way in which you promote, you talk about, you share things. PowerPoint is not something that has to be the same everywhere, right? The different lighting and all the air conditioning. I mean, like, there's different things that absolutely can be different and, and should be different. Strategies. Okay, your sacrament administration. So I'll give you one example of this. So some of the sacraments that we do, right? Lord's Supper, baptism. So rooted actually got its roots in Kenya. And there was a church there where the gospel was just advancing and people were believing and they were wanting to be baptized. But there was a massive drought and there legitimately was not enough water to be able to do water baptisms. So it wasn't, oh, pause, nope, that we have to do water, we can't baptize people. No, they got a coffin up at the front of the stage, and they had people come in and lay in it, which symbolized, and you were once dead in your sins, and they would come out, but now you've been made alive in Christ. And so they did that. And so different contexts require different things. In the Philippines, um, the first thing, the first thing that the church when it moved into the Philippines said they wanted was a baptismal. And so they dug this pit. And when you dig a pit in a trash dump, it just does not go well, right? So they did it though. They did it. And so then the next thing that happened was set up a well and water and they were able to do it in a totally different way. But you have challenges that come up. And so your strategies, how you do things, there can be some flexibility. Your discipleship pathway, as again, what has to stay the same? Preach the word, make disciples. It's got to be God's word. It's got to be led by the Holy Spirit. Your discipleship pathway, there are tons of great materials and Bible studies and all that. And if different churches do it different way and they're making disciples, that is amazing. We have our system. And that's great. And we've prayed about it and we've discerned it. We said, hey, here's how where we feel God is leading our congregation. But other churches can and should look different in different places. The worship style. The worship style can look different. I love when I get to go to other parts of the world. My favorite part is when I'm able to worship with different believers in different places. And I love the differences. I love the differences. Our God is a creative God. And if we feel like we have a monopoly on this is how church should be, this is the style, this is how it should look like, we are, we are minimizing God. I'm not saying we compromise on the, what needs to stay the same. What I am saying is we need to be a church that celebrates differences, celebrates other churches' differences. There are other churches in our town that are helping people find and follow Jesus that are making disciples, and they don't look anything like the way that we do church. And that is okay as long as they are holding on to those core principles, right? And so when God looks down at Topeka, he doesn't see Fellowship Bible Church and, you know, all these different and unique churches. He sees the church. And in Topeka, it, it makes me sad at times when I, I feel like there can be disunity and a, not a sense of being for and celebrating all the different churches in town and even just other agencies and organizations. So let's be a church 
that we can recognize here's the things that need to be the same, and we celebrate the differences. Can we do that? Okay, so, so I just want to review again why church partnership, okay? Because the church is united, is designed to be united around the call to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And let me be clear that when God, when Jesus ascended to heaven and he left the church and his disciples in charge to help make disciples around the world, there wasn't a plan B. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to try this church thing. If it doesn't work, then well, we'll figure something else out. No, the church is God's plan A that God designed to share the hope and bring gospel to this broken world. And that's you and I, the local church. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, page 598, this is the, the Great Commission passage. It says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So just to review, again, we see some of the things that are the same. We see the task. So we see this idea of making disciples. That's something that's the same. We see this idea of baptizing. That's another task. That's the same. We see this idea of teaching new disciples to obey all the commandments that I've given you. That's a task. We see the tools of God's word, of the Holy Spirit. And we say that this is in enemy territories where all this takes place. At the same time, the way this looks can and it should be different in specific locations and contexts in our city and around the world. So there's going to be different structures and strategies. Again, how boring it would be if we all did church the exact same way. So don't get stuck into religion like the Pharisees, like I do at times, like I'm sure you do at times. But let's cling to the truths of the gospel and live those out in every area that we have influence in. And let's celebrate our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and our fellow churches as they help make disciples of all the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your plan A, to be a part of, of the church. Thank you for sending your son so that we could have salvation, that we could allow you to be our Lord and our Savior by grace through faith, Father. I pray that we live out these rooted rhythms, that we live out what you're calling us to, and that we celebrate with other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as they help people find and follow Jesus. Help us be a church that's unified around, around the core essentials, around your word, around the Holy Spirit, around preaching the word, around making disciples. And help us never be a church that holds a yoke around people and lives out of religion. Father, help each one of us in our own lives remember the gospel and the good news that is to us each and every day. Father, we need you each and every day. We are sinful, broken people, so continue to sanctify us. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you for even just this building, the space, people, opportunities, partnerships. We are very undeserving. And I pray that we steward the opportunities that you give us well. We pray all this in your name. Amen.